right, so welcome to the first part of a series that we are calling Mental Wellness. And it's based upon a book that I've read uh, called Out of the Cave. And I really believe that this is going to be a blessing to a lot of us, okay? And I want to give credit where credit is due. A lot, most of what you're going to hear in this little mini-series comes out of this book. And um, I was actually given this book a few months ago. And the book is about depression and overcoming depression. You might say, well, I don't need this series because I'm not depressed. Or I've got faith. Well, let me tell you that depression is not something that is exclusive to those that are far from God. Okay? And you're going to discover that as, as we go along. And, uh, and so if, if maybe you haven't battled with depression, I've, de- I've battled with depression two times, once as a teenager and then once for several years, about 10 years ago. And so I just got myself into a, like a perfect storm, and I had some people that I would have called friends who I just felt betrayed by. I, and I hadn't paced myself well for a really, really long time. Uh, I was isolated. I had isolated myself because uh, ministry can be a lonely place. And there were a bunch of other things that I went through. And it was a period of a few years where I was just extremely depressed. And I can relate to this book because it did. It felt like I was in a cave. I felt like I was in a cave. It was dark and I couldn't see my way out. And I want to talk about how we get into the cave today, uh, into that cave of depression or anxiety. You might say, well, I've never been in that cave. I don't have that problem. But you probably are around other people who are going to or, or who have done that or are in it, even if you don't know it. In 2020, the CDC says one out of every four of every person under 30, uh, or one out of every 40, I'm sorry, considered suicide in 2020. Divorce filings were up 20%. Anti-depression up 300% in 2020. And it hasn't leveled off in 2021 either. And so I don't think that this is something for the world to solve, though. I think this is something that the Word of God can, can solve. Is that right? Now, I'm really excited about what I'm going to share with you. And, and so we're going to talk about today how not to get into the cave of depression, how to prevent you from that. And next week, we're going to talk about how to get out of the cave if you or somebody around you is already there. Okay? And we're going to base this on the life of Elijah. And so before we get into it, I want to give you two things just on the front end, just to make sure that you, uh, that you know these. These are kind of qualifiers, just to give context to where we want to go with this topic. Okay? The first is, is that there are some really, uh, there's some real biological reasons for depression. It doesn't have to be 2020 or 2021. There are genetic and biological issues that can mess with our minds. And so, but we don't want biology to have the whole narrative to determine everything, right? See, we're going to miss some solutions that are out there if we do that. So the first thing that I want you to see is that depression is not a malfunction of the mind, but it's actually a signal that there are some things that are maybe under the surface that are not good, all right? The second thing is that there is a real stigma around this topic. And, and look, I wear glasses, which means there's a part of my body, my eyes, that have not functioned at top efficiency, okay? Now, a lot, you guys don't think I'm lacking faith because I wear glasses or because I'm a, worse, I'm a bad person. I just have a part of my body that's not working at peak efficiency yet. And the mind is a part of the body as well, and it can go through the same thing. And you don't think less of me because I'm wearing glasses until I get my healing. But 
and so you shouldn't think less of people that are struggling in their minds either. Is that right? Our illnesses do not need to become our identity. Because how I feel is not who I am. It's just what I'm struggling with at that moment. God is the healer. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, paid for our healing. Not only in our body, but also in our minds as well. And I would love for the church to be a leader in addressing these issues. Now, let me give you the end before I give you the beginning, okay? Bottom line is that God wants you free. He doesn't like seeing you struggle. And for those of you that might say, you know, well, I just think that God wants me to struggle. He's trying to teach me something with sickness. I think that's false. I I believe that you can find out where you belong. You can line up your beliefs in line with the word. And you can become who God has called you to be. And see, Galatians 5 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And look, we believe that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Is that right? And at the same time, even the best of us struggle sometimes. And what I love about the Bible is it doesn't put this book of perfection out there to you. The Bible's perfect, but in regards to the people who wrote it, I love that God uses some of the worst people, adulterers, murderers, and yes, even depressed people in the Bible. And one of them was a prophet named Jeremiah. Now, uh, not only Jeremiah, or Jeremiah wrote Jeremiah, but also a whole book, it was called Lamentations. It's a whole book about how sad I am. That's Lamentations. And it says things like this. Um, It says, I have been deprived of peace, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. Nothing in my life is working. It's not my finances, my family. I don't even know what success looks like anymore. And he says, so I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. He says, I remember instead my affliction and my wondering and the bitterness and gall. And, and those are not good things to be thinking about, by the way. And he says, and I, and I remember them and my soul is downcast in me. Well, I guess it is, Jeremiah, if you're sitting around thinking like that. It's going to happen. And it even happened to prophets. Okay, Even the great apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians, watch this. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Just because I wrote the New Testament, I look like I got everything all together. No. Actually, I have troubles that I've experienced that have messed me up all through Asia. In fact, we were under such great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure it, so that we even despaired of life. He wanted to die. It's a great apostle. You heard about the prophet. This is an apostle who says, look, I don't think I can take this. It's just too much. The story I want to build on today, I will tell you, is of another great prophet, Elijah, who, in fact, was probably the, the greatest of all the prophets in the Bible. He gets the honor of being at the transfiguration of Jesus. You can go read about it in the Gospels, where Jesus took a few of his disciples. He took them up to the mountainside. And Moses and Elijah show up, these dead guys show up, which means obviously heaven, uh, they, they honored them in order for them to be there with Jesus. And Elijah was, was somebody who struggled greatly with depression. And watch this. It happened after some great spiritual victories. And what happens is Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal, all these pagan prophets against one man of God. And he builds this sacrifice before God. He soaks it full of water. And God comes down from heaven and not only consumes the sacrifice, but laps up all the water as well. And all those prophets were put to the sword. 
And then the ne very next story, he literally goes to this next spiritual high. He prays for rain to come after a three-year drought, and the rain came. I mean, he had these amazing victories. And you would think right after that, wow, he'd be celebrating everything that God had done. But here's what actually happens. In 1 Kings, Ahab was the king, and he told his wife Jezebel... Uh, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets, their own prophets, with the sword. So Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah and notice that, that they didn't send somebody to kill him. They just sent a tweet that you're going to die. We're going to kill you. You would think he could, the God that could handle the three-year drought and stand up in front of 850 wicked prophets could handle a little text. You think he could handle a little comment on his Facebook page or Instagram page, right? She said, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of those prophets, those guys that were killed. And it freaked Elijah out. And it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba, I don't have time to teach it. Beersheba was the place that he had made the oath to serve God. And he went back to that place and said, God, I don't think I can do this anymore. He went back to the place and he said, God, I thought you were on my side. And he left him servant there, which was a big mistake. And then he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush that was like a little tree to, so he could get out from under the sun. And he prayed that he might die. And he prayed a prayer that a lot of people have prayed. And he's just like, I've had enough. I don't think I can handle this anymore. God, I, it's enough. And look, I remember being there as a pastor 10 years ago. Just being there like, God, let me please do something else. Just deep depression. I didn't want to get up in the morning. I didn't want to come to work. I felt like I was just going through the motions. It wasn't fair to the congregation. And I would, I would actually sit in meetings, and I would just suddenly want to cry for no apparent reason. And I have to get up and, just, and leave just to collect myself and come back in. It was a super dark period in my life. I never wanted to commit suicide, but I wanted to commit ministry suicide. I would actually pray, God, please let me do anything else. I don't want to do this anymore. And that's where Elijah was. Except for him, it was even worse. Because he said this, he said, God, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And we see very clearly in this story some things that I want to share with you today that got him into the cave, into this depression. All right? And I recognize this in my life, in my experience. And a cave is what, is what depression feels like. You know, you know there's a way out, but you don't know where it is. It's just dark, disorienting, lonely. I can feel some things, but they don't really feel, they're slimy. They don't really feel right. I just know there's bad somewhere, but I don't know where it is. That's depression. And he did some things to get himself there, and, I'm gonna ha and I want to show those to you, all right? I fully accept the fact that where counseling and medication is the answer. Okay. In fact, when I was battling this, I actually went to a counselor. I went to a coach, and, and we have, actually have coaches here that can help you with that. If you go to lwfc.org coaching, we have trained people trained in this that can walk you through those things. But listen to me. There are some factors that we do have control of. And honestly, this should give you great hope. And so I'm going to give you some of the ways that you can get into that. And then I'm going to give you next week, if you're already there, some ways that you get out that are embedded in the story, okay? Here we go. The very first thing that gets you into it is life imbalances. 
one of the authors that I read named Johan Yari. There's a book called Lost Connections, and this is his quote. He says, we need to stop talking as much about chemical imbalances and more about imbalances in the way that we actually live. More and more research, research is pointing to our lifestyles as the main factor that causes depression and anxiety. And, and you'll notice that Elisha's depression came right after his two greatest experiences with God. When I was much younger, Melissa and I, we were uh, youth pastors. We actually, we actually um, founded 24-7 Youth Church here at Living Word years ago. And one of the things that we would do every year is we would take kids up to a retreat, like a spiritual retreat. It's called Ski Invasion in Gatlinburg. And so we would be there, and we'd go to meetings, and, and then we'd get, go skiing. And so we would get on the ski. We were just constantly checking the infirmity to make sure all our kids are okay. And we had some bumps and bruises, but for the most part, we came out all right. But we learned that 90% of all injuries happen in the last hour of the day. And there are two things that are happening in the last hour of the day. You're very tired and you're overconfident. And I think sometimes in some ways we can get an arrogance about us in the way that we live. And we think, well, I can do this on my own. But watch this. Not everything that's doable is actually sustainable for the long haul. Sometimes we create a pace that we can't continue and stay healthy. There, there's another book called The Depression Cure that, I, that I've read. And the author says this. We are never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of life, this modern life. And a lot of you can relate to that, right? What do we do? Well, in Ecclesiastes, it says better one handful. Well, I like two. Well, yeah, but now it's, sometimes it's not best to fill up both hands. Better one handful and still have some tranquility, some peace, than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. We have the philosophy that if one is good, two's better. If one dollar is good, two is better. If one donut's good, two's better. If one wife's good, two wives are wrong. Don't go there. All right, just making sure you're awake. One handful with tranquility, and this is where we're trying to get is tranquility. One handful, or you can have two with toil and chasing after the wind. And that's what happened to me. And that's certainly what happened to Elijah, and I think that's what happens to a lot of us as well. Now, the second thing is this, is us comparing ourselves. See, he said, I am no better than my ancestors. Well, man, what do your ancestors have to do with anything? Why are you even comparing yourself to your ancestors? And, and clearly, all the research is pointing to that a lot of reasons why a lot of us are depressed is because we're looking over our shoulder at what everybody else is doing all the time. And I believe that the enemy is using this tool that we have called social media so that we know what our neighbor had for dinner and it looks better than what we had. You don't need to know what everybody else is doing all the time. Right? Theodore Roosevelt uh, said, comparison is the thief of joy. The more you worry about what they have, what they're doing, why they're doing it, how good their life looks, it robs you of the joy that God wants to give you. The Bible says something completely different. Look at this. Galatians says each one of us should test our own actions, and then we can take what is a holy pride, a good pride, in ourselves alone without comparing ourselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Elijah was never going to stand before God for his ancestors. He was going to stand before God for his own calling. 
and I'm going to stand for, in front of God for my own calling, and you are for your own calling, your own marriage, your own parenting, your own family, your own God-given calling. And it's not healthy to compare ourselves to everybody around us, but it's hard. We got way too much exposure right now to what everybody else is doing. We were not meant for this. All the research is actually showing that our online and our social media viewing is actually, it's actually reshaping the mind. It's reforming our brains. You can study it for yourself. Uh, a lot of the content creators of a lot of these social media platforms are actually, they're apologizing for it. They don't even let their own kids have it. Why? Because it's too much in our minds. We uh, just had a social media whistleblower come out with studies that these social media these companies have done that prove that their own social media was bad for us, that it actually makes eating disorders worse in young girls, suicide thoughts worse. They already they know it. Every year we do twenty one days of fasting, and I and I this last year. I set aside social media as well, and it just it felt like a cleanse to start the new year. And, and so this last year, during 21 days, I just decided I'm going to step away from media, social media, but then also news media, because it's easy for me to get wrapped up in all the things news, all right? And that's just me. And so I decided I was going to set aside a bunch of that stuff. And all I could say to you is it, was, it brought an amazing amount of peace on my, in my heart. And so I've kind of continued that. I barely pick up social media now. I, I watch very little news now. Uh, if you message me on Facebook, I'm probably not seeing it for weeks. But here's the thing. Um, we have to be intentional about what we don't know as much as we are intentional about what we do know. Okay? There's some things you may not need to know. Do you really need to know such and such as recipe for casserole or whatever it is? I don't need to know everybody's everything. And since then, I am careful about how much I consume because I saw a lot of comparison in my life. And it was sucking up my time and all that stuff. But here's the thing. Since I've done that, I got more peace in my soul. And that may be something that you might want to try as well. All right. Here's the third thing ruminating and self-talk. This is get you in there. We're going to read the scripture next week of Elijah who, who told God, look, I've been working hard for you, God, and I don't think you're noticing. He told this to God. And he, he just said, look, I'm the only good person left. That's what he said. And it actually wasn't true. And he knew it wasn't true. He had talked himself into believing a lie that I'm the only prophet left. No, no, he wasn't. He was doing what psychologists call ruminating. Now, ruminating is where you take your distress and your worry and you start meditating on it and processing it and it, and it doesn't get better, it gets worse. See, ruminating is when, what a cow does, right? They call it a ruminating animal. And a ruminating animal chews the cud. And that's when you eat grass, you chew it, you swallow it, it's gonna get gross. You throw it back up in your mouth, you regurgitate it, and then you chew it some more, you swallow it, you throw it back up, in your mouth, and you chew it some more. How many of you know, every time that that worry comes back up, it, that doubt and that fear and that offense, it doesn't get any better. You're ruminating. When you, and when you process all by, look, the devil loves self-talk. He loves to infect your self-talk. 
because the battle is in the mind. That's why 2 Corinthians says, uh, it's not up there, take captive every thought and make it obedience to Christ. Brian Tracy is an author I love. He says 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. Wow. That's why the Bible is so strong on this. Philippians 4 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about these things, and the God of peace will, peace will be with you. Notice Netflix is not on that list. <laughs> control your mind, control your life. It's biblical, okay? Here's another secret is, now lean in, okay? You cannot stop thinking a thought. You can't. You can only replace that thought. And the Bible says, think on these things. And the Bible gives us the solution of what to replace our thoughts with. Pure, lovely, good report, excellent, praiseworthy. The mind controlled by the spirit is a life of peace. But controlled by the flesh, it's actually death. And for a lot of us, that's what gets us where we don't want to be. Okay? All right, here's another one. The inability to process pain in a healthy way. We have to learn to process our emotional pain in a healthy way. I don't know if you realize this, but there are bad days that happen to all of us. And a lot of people don't miss this. They have a wrong expectation of earth and of God. Do you think earth owns you something and happiness is just promised? And you think God promises you that as well? And what a lot of people don't realize is that God's plan is actually a rescue mission to get us out of earth and into heaven. And he does intervene in our lives here on earth. And he has given us as much abundance as, as I think earth has, can give us. And praise God for that. But Jesus also said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have hard days. Micah, be more positive. I am positive that you're going to have days with tribulation. The Bible says it. But, but nobody has that verse on their refrigerator, right? Here's my tribulation verse. I'm believing for that. No. It's not how we do it. Take heart because I have overcome the world is what Jesus said. A lot of us are experiencing emotional pain in a lot of different ways. And my question to you is what do you do when that happens? You see, 10 years ago when I, exp I expressed those betrayals that kind of hurt me so emotionally, I had not understood yet how to actually process my emotional pain in a healthy way. And it got me into the cave. It's one of the things. And a lot of people turn to different things, drugs, alcohol, TV binging. I mean, there's a variety of things, video games at three o'clock in the morning because it just gives you this escape. And those are usually unhealthy for us. And, and they're not helping us. When COVID happened over a year ago, after the very first month, only one month of the pandemic, drug addiction went up 18% in one month. 29% in April, 42% in May. We were getting worse and worse and worse. And now, honestly, we are ministering to a lot of the effects of 2020. There's a, there's a Jewish psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, wrote a book, Man's, Man's Search for Meaning. And he lived post-World War II. He was a psychiatrist. In fact, he had a clinic in Austria just to treat Holocaust victims who had survived. People who had survived the Holocaust and they had seen all these victims and they were traumatized. And they had been through something horrible and all of them were suicidal, every one of his patients. 
And he actually had a different theory than Floyd, or Freud had before. Freud thought that the point of life was pleasure. And Frankel came along and said, no, the, the pur- it's purpose. It's meaning. If you don't have purpose and meaning, you'll dull your life with pleasures only to find out that they're not going to bring you pleasure anymore. And that's not what life is all about. But the thing is, I believe that. I believe the greatest solution to giving meaning to your life and find internal happiness is not circumstantial. It's not what you have. It's not everybody loves you. It's that I know my life matters. I'm becoming who God made me to be. And he, cre- and for, he created a, um, a ther- therapy. It, cre- it included three things. First was what they called meaningful work. Um, and that, by the way, that's why we encourage you to become who you're called to be and to actually serve on a team or in outreach and volunteer. It's not that we can't do it without you, but it works better with you for sure, and it brings meaning to your life. I encourage all of you, go to the growth track and get in, find a team that fit, that, where you fit and you belong. And you can just talk to the people that are serving, and they'll tell you, this is the funnest thing I do all week, just to know that I'm doing something with meaning that makes a difference. And then secondly, he said to do it with a community of friends. And then thirdly, was to find reason and and purpose in any suffering that you might go through. That if there is some way that you can let your emotional suffering help somebody else, you're not pursuing suffering, but this is what 2 Corinthians says. There's, There's Frank. God comforts us in our troubles, not so that we can comfort those, or so that we can comfort those, not just ourselves, in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Amen. So just as we share abundantly in the, in the sufferings is what it says. We don't, once again, that's not, on our, that's not our refrigerator scripture. I don't want an abundance of sufferings. No. But we have an abundance of comfort. Why? Because if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation is what Paul was saying. And I'm telling you, there is purpose in your emotional pain. What you've been through doesn't disqualify you. It actually qualifies you to help somebody who's going through the same thing. That's what I'm doing right now with my experience. See, that's who we're supposed to be, the hands and feet of Jesus. Is that right? All right. The next one is this. Well, there's purpose in your pain. I said that one. Isolation and loneliness. We're more connected digitally, but yet have more recorded loneliness in all of history. The first problem in the Bible was not sin. It was solitude. The first thing that went wrong was not the devil in Genesis 3. It was before that when God said, it is not good for us to be alone. Because Romans 12 says, you are not a body, you are a body part. We are all one body in Christ and we belong to each other. We are not designed to live a life alone. We need each other. And this was the other mistake that I made, is that I held it in, and, I, uh, and I, I messed up myself. I didn't have people that I could share with. And Elijah did the exact same thing. Elijah left the servant there, and, um, and the first mistake that you can make and is to think that you can go figure this out by yourself. It's about time I take care of myself. You know, that's a trap. It's not the truth. It's not about me. It's about we. Do you understand what I'm saying? And look, I commend you for being in church today and just saying, hey, I need to be in a community of believers. I need to sit on a row with somebody where I belong, high five with somebody, sing with somebody. We need to go through this together, pray together, worship together because we need each other. Is that right? 
Because look, you're not just this human being with body and emotions. You were made in the image of God. You have the spirit of God on the inside of you. You're not a human being having these temporary spiritual experiences. You're a spirit being having temporary human experiences. You are a spirit being. And you want your spirit man to impact all the other parts of you as well, including your mind. That's why we need to understand spiritual warfare. And that's my challenge to you today, is to understand spiritual warfare. I mean, all these things that we're talking about actually is warfare. And we're going to talk more next week about how to use that to get out of the cave. But if I told you that I had inside information... And I'm sorry to tell you this, but somebody got a key to your house and you don't know it. And they're a very bad person. They're an evil person. And tonight is the night. They're coming. They're coming in right after you go to sleep. They're coming in. And they're going to take your kids. They're going to, you know, they're going to take them, tie them up. Your spouse, everything that's precious to you will be gone tomorrow morning. What would you be willing to do? I can answer that for you. You'd be willing to not go to sleep. And that's why the Bible says that some of us are asleep. We're just asleep. First Peter 5 says, we need to wake up, be alert, sober-minded that we have an enemy, the devil. And just because you don't believe in him doesn't make him go away. That he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for somebody to devour. Now, a lion doesn't just doesn't walk up to the gazelles and say, hey, here I am. Got my fork, got my knife, let's do it. No, he's lying in cover. He's lying in wait. And in fact, a lion is the same color as the grass. You don't even know that he's there. But the Bible says to resist him. Like act, be involved in spiritual warfare, resist. Ephesians tells us how. Put on the armor of God. He says, even though you have it, you still have to put it on. That God has given us authority, but we have to use it. And that's what we talked about in the last series about how to use the word of God, the sword of the spirit for spiritual warfare. If you didn't hear that, go back and get that series, this last series that we did. You can go back to YouTube or our website. Or, and, but here's the deal. I believe God has an abundant life for you. I think he wants us all to stay out of the cave. If you believe that, say, that's me. So would you stand with me? I just want to pray for you. And look, next week, we are going to talk about that spiritual warfare and what to do if you have already found yourself in that cave or if you know somebody that's there. Come on, let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for your word today. I thank you that you didn't didn't whitewash the Bible, that you that you used flawed human beings. You used human beings that were, that were in pain in some ways. I thank you for the example of Elijah and that yet you could use him in amazing, amazing ways. The greatest prophet ever. So right now, in Jesus' name, I just thank you that we are not only hearers of the word, that we are doers of the word. Jesus, take this message. Take these examples and let us search our hearts for what might be pointing us toward a cave. So what we're gonna do in the next 
just 60 seconds. For those of you at home, for those of you that are here, we're just going to take just 60 seconds, and I just want for you to talk with God. Just ask Him to reveal to you in your thoughts what areas you might need to change. Where, you know, it may be, I talked a little bit about social media. Social media is not evil in and of itself, but man, it can have, a, it can have some damaging effects. And so what is it? Is, maybe it's that. Maybe it's you ruminating. Yeah, that, yeah, I do that. I should have said this. I should have said that. I should have said this. He doesn't love me. She doesn't love me. Maybe it's correcting our thoughts and replacing it with what is ever, whatever is pure and lovely, excellent, praiseworthy. But just give God a moment to speak to you. Let's just take a minute and spend with him.